0: Welcome back to The Hot Dish. This is uh, Heidi Heitkamp. Uh, and today, my special guest is one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, Libby Schneider. Now, full disclosure, Libby was my campaign manager in 2018. She's been uh, involved in electoral politics in North Dakota, literally for her age for years, um, working um with uh, our Senate candidates, working with our House candidates and uh, working with a very special candidate, uh, Ryan Taylor, who uh, ran for for governor, Libby also ran his campaign. But um, after 2018, we sat down, Libby and Tessa, my former chief of staff and I, all North Dakota um, uh, patriots um, and said, we just cannot continue to keep losing in rural America and what can we do? Um, As a result of that conversation, we formed One Country Project, but we also said, you know, the DNC needs to be more engaged in rural America. They need to be uh, uh, speaking to rural America, and we need to coordinate Democrats in rural America. And so I was thrilled when Libby said she would be interested in that position. And so Liberty Schneider from Fargo, North Dakota, um, is now the Rural Director for the Democratic National Committee and has been doing fabulous work. Welcome to the hot dish, Libby.
1: Thank you, Senator. So good to be here. Long-time listener, first-time guest.
0: <laughs> very funny, very funny. <laughs> that, that, may, that may show your PBS uh, uh, leanings. We talk
1: Maybe. It's good to lead off yeah.
0: your biases, though, you know. Yeah. Well listen um Libby why don't you tell us what's been happening with uh, your rural project over at the DNC and um kind of what how how you're going to um make sure that this isn't just a one hit wonder and that we continue the work that you you're started
1: sure so I, I think before i do that i want to make sure people know sort of how we you know you mentioned how how you me and Tessa got to this point after watching you know counties in North Dakota that had had voted for Democrats historically over uh, decades get redder and redder over the past ten years, and and sort of how we came to our own uh, uh, moment of of reckoning where we said we have to t- stop the bleeding or, or we're not going to win races. So I think you know 2016, anyone who who read the news realized that Democrats had a problem in rural areas, and and in order to win, we needed to write that ship. And, to be very fair to the Clinton campaign, the rural demographics has been trending away from us since 2008. So uh, my boss, DNC Chair Tom Perez and other party leaders and electeds representing rural areas like you, um, recognized that. Uh, and so we set off to work to try to build back some of uh, these relationships between our party and folks living in the rural areas of our country. So it was pretty clear when digging into the numbers that we weren't going to to be able to convince the majority of, of rural folks, or maybe even that 10%. Um, To all of a sudden see the light in our party, but there was an obvious pocket of voters, folks who voted for Obama and then Trump, many of whom lived in rural areas that made the most sense to target. So anyone who's heard me give a public presentation on our efforts, and Heidi, you've heard it more times than you would like to, to admit, I'm sure, but you've heard me say this, it's it's worth repeating that we don't have to win in rural America; we just have to lose by less, and those can make the differences. You know, certainly in statewide elections and and in presidential elections. There was actually a, a headline from the Economist at the end of September that said Democrats doing less badly among rural voters, and it might as well have said Libby Schneider wins thirty billion dollars. By the way, I reacted to it, so it's a it, it's a it's a lower bar, and there's small margins that we need to cut at, but that I think has the biggest impact to to uh, To make a difference, so we've been working our our buns off since I arrived at the DMC and and before before my tenure year there too to make sure we aren't taking one thing for granted, as it relates to the rural vote, um, and that's included. We started making investments into rural America right away in twenty nineteen and built a a rural program with many of our state party partners, particularly in the battleground states, um, that allowed for rural organizers in places paid organizers haven't been for over a decade um, in states like Colorado, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Montana, Florida, North Carolina, um, and and you get the idea. But the goal was to uh, be able to hand over a fully formed, coordinated campaign, fully formed campaign structure to whomever the nominee was going to be. And a big part of that was making sure we were building up rural infrastructure. So when Joe B. Biden became the nominee, we were able to do just that and uh, and, and have been working really closely with them um, on, on rural issues ever since. And I think the sort of concerted effort from the DNC to put money money where our mouth is on rural and fund organizers and rural directors Um, And then also make sure that we're doing our best to use our incredible surrogates like you and and other folks from across the country to get the Biden plan for rural America out there and to show that not only is President Trump terrible for rural America, um, but most importantly, you have an alternative and, and it's Joe Biden.
0: Well, you know, I think I think some people would say, well, this is lip service. You know, you kind of uh, got bullied into it by people like me who said the DNC needs to pay attention. And, you know, I think Tom Perez has been incredibly receptive to the discussion. But how do we, you know, not not necessarily turning right away to what happens after the election, but how do we better describe rural America um, to, you uh, you know, our, our democratic friends who don't live in rural America. By that, I mean, I think when people think rural America, they look at polls of farmers and they say, oh, all is lost. All Look at all these farmers. They aren't going to vote for us. And they don't realize rural America is much more diverse than just agriculture. It's not just about farmers. It's about rural healthcare workers, rural teachers, um, uh, uh, people who run small manufacturing concerns, so how do we help the the country, or certainly the people in the Democratic Party who come from places that aren't rural? How do we help them better understand what the concerns are of rural America and build a bigger and better coalition?
1: Sure, yeah. To your point, I think it's it's easy for, for folks who uh, you know are in the Beltway to look at a poll that says seventy five percent of farmers are going to support uh, um, Donald Trump and, and write off rural America. Well, we know that as you said. Rural America is not it's certainly well known for agriculture, but just because you're in rural America does not mean it's synonymous with agriculture. So, you know, one in five people in living in rural America are people of color. You mentioned the manufacturing and we've seen our our rural numbers uh, support for Trump just completely erode in manufacturing states like Ohio and Michigan and so it's sort of stressing the diversity of this community, you know, we're from North Dakota, certainly where we are, it's mostly uh, in rural areas, it's mostly uh, rural white people. And then, of course, our, our native brothers and sisters um, on their sovereign lands. But, but the rest of the country is a little different. And so I think one of the big challenges I had when coming to the DNC, and I think it was they were self-aware enough to recognize this, is that in addition to winning back trust in rural America, trying to make. You know, trying to build those relationships back. We also had to make the the national brand a little less toxic for Democrats. And nobody understands sort of the implications of, of running as a Democrat in a red state where it doesn't matter if if your Mother Teresa, if you have a D next to your name, it's um it, it's it's over. And so you know, sort of. Fighting with the internally uh, in a kind way, of course, to make sure that we're we're talking about rural America when we talk about healthcare, when we talk about jobs, when we talk about, you know, it, it, that we're not just using rural America as a talking point with rural broadband, for example, which I know is something that drives both you and me crazy when that's the only rural talking point. But I think you know we we had an education piece as part of this role, and and I think people I think people are starting to get it. At least it feels it feels like that.
0: You know, I I jokingly tell people that it used to be when you went to Iowa, all you said was ethanol, 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 check the box for rural America. And the one thing I've been so impressed by um, Joe Biden's uh, rural America plan is the depth of understanding about the challenges. And when people say, what's the one thing you want to talk about with Joe Biden's plan? I said, this is going to seem really small to you, but it tells me he gets it. And that is that in his healthcare plan for rural America, delivering rural healthcare, he talks about transportation. How many times, Libby, have we heard I, Grandma couldn't get to the doctor because there wasn't anyone there to take her? You know that the fact that we can offer transportation assistance so people can do the preventative uh, work that they need to um, to stay healthy is just so important. And so I just I have just been so impressed by uh, Vice President Biden's Rural America Plan, because it's not just broadband check the box, ethanol check the box. It's talking about real challenges in healthcare, real challenges in education and de- de- delivering a high quality education product, real challenges for small manufacturing concerns and infrastructure needs, whether it's roads or bridges. You know, uh, we we just have, a I think, a great plan and it's just so great to, see that when Joe Biden got done with his, uh, debate was the first thing he did. He went and visited places Democrats haven't visited for quite a while. And, um, so I want to, I want to turn not to just to this campaign Oh, maybe, I think maybe some listeners would be curious about how is it going with your rural project in swing states, Libby? I mean, what are, what are you seeing in terms of reducing margins in places like Iowa and Minnesota and, uh, and uh, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan. What are you seeing?
1: Sure. So I think before you, before I go to that, I want to uh, to tell you to a little story that you probably remember. You talk about transportation being critical to rural healthcare, and it, it, I, just to show like how nuanced this issue is. I remember being at a meeting with you somewhere in central North Dakota, and this was during the oil boom, and the trains were um, stacked up, you know. Uh, to, to a track and and back to back and would be stuck on the track because there was too much train traffic. and this community's hospital was on the other other side of the train track and because there was no underpass um, you know for for hundreds of miles, they had to go around or wait um, for ambulances to get across the tracks. And so just thinking about that and, and talking about how you know seconds and minutes save lives, um, especially for elderly populations living in rural America, something as as sort of simple as as realizing that a lack of an underpass can mean the difference between you know life and death. These are very nuanced, interconnected issues, and and everything is just a little harder in rural America when it comes to access to healthcare. So, but that that point aside, um, I to talk a little bit about the battleground states, which are the ones you mentioned, we have focused a lot of attention and resources into these rural areas, particularly in Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Minnesota, Iowa, um, and a little bit in, in Florida too, into into the rural areas, to make sure that we're, we have, you know, now virtual boots on the ground um, to help to move those numbers. So what we're seeing, and I don't have a crystal ball, and I think, we're all naturally and appropriately skittish to to uh, sort of make predictions post twenty sixteen. But I will say this: we are closing those huge rural gaps. Um, we are closing those, cutting those margins down. And it, particularly, I mentioned it earlier, but in states like Michigan and Wisconsin, um, and you know, even in Iowa to some extent, these we're talking big, big movements and closing those huge gaps um, in rural America. For folks voting for Democrats. So we're not, you know, you're not going to see on election night us winning the most rural counties in Michigan, but you are going to see that instead of losing by 25 points, we're, you know, maybe losing by nine. um, And and that's going to, you know, propel um, Senator Gary Peters to re-election victory. We're going to propel Biden to the White House. And all the great congressional races going on there too—that um, that helps. So I think it's looking good. It feels pretty good, you know. I'm painting a real rosy picture, because um, that's just my nature. But there's—we've got our, our work cut out for us. I mean, the Trump administration is doing everything in their power, Hatch Act be damned, to use the power of of uh, federal resources and taxpayer dollars to um, to you know bribe. Rural residents into voting for for Donald Trump. I mean the the farm payments are are astounding and and it's still not making farmers whole. And so I think you know these are these are the things that we have up against us and we can't relent. And so I don't think we're curing our our rural problem this cycle, but I think we're we're working to make it better and we're working in the long term to make it better. So we don't you know we don't have sort of the last ten years repeated ad nauseum until until we're all no longer here.
0: Well, and the other thing that I want to remind people, we didn't get here in a cycle. We're not going to work out of this in a cycle. And they say, well, yeah. we'll never get them back. And I said, you know, we've lost the generation that understood that FDR was absolutely essential to saving the family farm. And and those folks have been with us for a long time. We haven't transitioned our dialogue with rural America in a way that would tell them that we're on their team and on their side. And, and so um, I look forward. And, and so I want to just do a quick transition here, Libby, to talk about um, what happens after the election. And, and I'm, I'm superstitious, so I don't like jinxing anything, but I do also think that it's so important to get the ground running. And, and if, if, in fact, um, Joe Biden becomes the next president of the United States, Uh, the the work in rural America, and we we see some of that is because, as the economist said, we're losing less badly um, uh, in in rural America. Um, That's not good enough for us. And I know it's not good enough for you. How do we then um, uh, propel the next uh, cycle of messages? What, what, what would you recommend to anyone who um, is now looking at uh, 2022 and saying, what does rural America, what can we do to reestablish our relationship with um, rural voters uh, going forward after this election?
1: Sure. I, I think the first thing is we have to show up. I mean, we, you know, for, for far too long, we didn't show up at we being like the, the, the royal we here in the Democratic, the National Democratic Party, didn't show up in rural America and took took those voters that we did have there for granted and sort of rode off, you know, I think Democrats have a little bit of a a policy arrogance sometimes, where we assume because our policy, we think our policy is better for for those folks. If they don't uh, see it that way, then you know we're we're done talking. And I think that's the most reckless thing that you can do uh, when trying to to win back a whole constituency like you are with rural. So it, you know, I I think in order to not end up in the same problem that we did, you know, ten and twelve years ago, we need to, and I have all the confidence that. Of President Joe Biden can do this to continue to fund the programs that we know are working with our state parties. If we want Democrats to be to be strong in in rural states, uh, we need to fund the state parties so that they can recruit candidates and and run qualified, great people with some support on their uh, you know at their back. Um, and we need to you know we need to tout of course Joe Biden's policy points and of course what he's going to do um as 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 president for rural America but you know having him show up in rural areas is so important too and and just showing that we're a big party tent there can be lots of of opinions lots of disagreeing opinions and that we welcome you know, folks who might be a little more conservative, but, but align with us. And we want that we want you here. Um, and that we value middle America in particular, and just sort of living our values. And, you know, making sure that you know, we're, we're, we're encouraging the folks who are in these communities, you know, as well as I do, how how frustrating it can be to, to be a Democrat, a little blue dot living in a very red sea. Um, and, and, you know, the necessary evil is that as national party, we have to look at the battleground states when we're up for a presidential election, it can certainly make some of the states like North Dakota, like Wyoming, like Kansas uh, feel a little overlooked. And and the way to cure that is to make sure that in the off cycles that we're investing in 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 programs that help get Democrats elected here. But also, you know, we, we can't be a toxic brand to, to rural America. We have to have policies that are middle of the road. We have to recognize um, that, you know, farmers have a different, different, lens on on issues like climate change doesn't mean they're less supportive, but we got to talk about, you know, we got to figure out the way to talk to them and with them in a way that that convinces them that, um, you know, our policy is correct. And there's there's lots of work to do. And we we just can't take our foot off the gas on November 4th, although I probably will take a big nap on November 4th (laughs) and then get started again, November 5th.
0: So I wanna, I wanna um, tell you about a conversation. I've obviously had a great opportunity to be on um, uh, uh, ag radio across the country. That's where the Biden campaign has sent me. I talk farmer better than Joni Ernst, I will say that. Um, uh, and so uh, when, you, when you look at, um, at the conversations that I've had, when they turn off the microphone and I say, how do you think it's looking? I had a really interesting conversation in Iowa. Um, and I said, well, you know, uh, you know, obviously Iowa had been uh, trending blue. Um, now is purple. Then went to red. Now we're hoping that um, Joe Biden can win Iowa. We have three congressional districts that are currently represented by Democrats. And, and um, this, this, uh, you know, really prominent egg uh, radio guy said, look, you know, it started out the uh, Abby Finkenauer and Cynthia Axney basically didn't win. I mean, they were able to win because they uh, represent some urban areas as well, kind of like a Fargo area. But um, after they won, and during the uh, natural disasters in Iowa, during all of the kind of um, work that they've done, constituent outreach, he said, they show up everywhere he said they're in the farm country they're in they're in the VFWs they're in the American legions they come down and they do you know meetings there they they really have done a great job reaching out and and his his inclination was to say that because they showed up um they they have softened any kind of criticism of their brand their personal brand but also carried that democratic banner into rural America, and that's made all the difference. And so that was a that was an interesting story that kind of supports what you and I are saying, which is it's not enough to win elections and say now we're done. We've got to continue the work that um, you started and the work that one country started and all of the other groups that are reaching out. I've I've spent some time with all of your rural coalitions uh, uh, that you formed, Libby, in various states. Amazing groups of people working really hard. For common sense rural policies that are being promoted by the Democrats. So, uh, you know, it it it's it the, the argument I think we'd have to make, and especially in some of these mixed districts, is you know if you want an easier time in reelection, you got to get out there and you got to visit and you got to talk about what matters to people. And and I expect that um, uh, we can uh, erode some of that huge advantage that the Republican party has right now. So um, we just have a few minutes, few minutes left. Um, Do you have any final kind of pitches you want to make there Libby?
1: Oh, you bet I do. Um, Yeah. Just to, before I make my, I will vote.com pitch, I want to say to you, you mentioned egg radio and and of course, in addition to having surrogates and, and, and elected officials and folks like you, Heidi, who uh, can talk rural as, as well as, as anyone, because um, you live it. <laughs> As in addition to those folks going on radio, we're, the Biden campaign listened to to the to the suggestions of you talked about our big coalition of rural folks. Um, listened to suggestions that they made in our advertising on on ag radio, and you know that's. That seems like a no brainer to, to rural folks. But this is, you know, this is kind of groundbreaking in in terms of a, a Democratic presidential candidate making a significant advertising buy onto rural radio, you know, right in time for for the harvest about a month and a half ago. So farmers are sitting in their tractors and their cabs, um, you know, listening to to. Biden's plan for rural America, which I think is awesome. Um, and of course, we can't get get end this without getting a dig in at Joni Ernst. You mentioned that you were, you know, could talk about agriculture a little better than she does. But I know that uh, for a fact that, you know, the price of soybeans and corn, Heidi. So so I'm not saying it's a low bar, but uh, but that's pretty much <laughs> political malpractice in Iowa to not know those two things going into a debate. But
0: um, well, it, I have to tell you, Libby, old old habits die hard. There's three things I check. Every morning, I check the price of oil because we're an oil-producing state, along with that natural gas. But I pre- check the price of soybeans and I check the price of corn because that's going to determine whether people have smiles on their face or whether whether they're stressed out. And so, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I get it, get a dig in, but but it does it does really speak volumes, I think. And and anyone who um, wants to understand. Kind of rural America. Watch that exchange, and uh, Teresa Greenfield did a great job responding exactly, probably the way I would have, which is it depends on where you are and what your input prices are. You know, some farmers who don't carry any debt may have, uh, it will have a much lower, um, uh, much lower break even. But you know, it was it was kind of fun to watch because you know somebody who is self styled. I'm I'm a girl from the farm, and I think even the commentator said. Really, you 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 grew up in a farm. You're a farm kid. You should know this. And I thought, yep, you should. <laughs>
1: yep, you should. Yeah, and I think the bummer for me was that the 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 clip on Twitter that went around was just of of Senator Ernst's answer. When you're right, uh, Teresa Greenfield had a perfect answer and and exactly what you should when you're representing the people of Iowa. So I hope that turns out. But but to your to your point about my pitch, I want to make sure. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that we've been um, better about this cycle than in previous cycles is making sure folks have correct information on where to vote and then making sure that folks have um, that we have a robust voter protection team. And when I say robust, I mean very, very robust to make sure that you know we're not uh, make sure that we're fighting back against voter suppression and and never more important uh, than now with the time of covid and mail in ballots and folks feeling a little skittish because our opponents will do and say anything uh, to try and get them to not vote but I, one of the things the tools that we rolled out is iwillvote.com and it's just an incredibly comprehensive and accurate source of voting information there's we have an entire team dedicated to updating it in real time so you can see you know, when additional polling sites have been opened or extended voting hours or, you know, sort of all of the information you need to vote, you can you know, request a ballot there, you can um, request a prepaid return envelope in states where that is allowed, uh, and you can see all the info on voting for every state in, in the union um and it all in one stop shop you just enter your address and it'll take you through these tools so if you're getting questions if you're organizers who are on making phone calls or if you got a question from your grandma or your aunt or your brother i always get questions from my brother he can't help himself about where to vote how to vote you can send them to iwillvote.com and that's um that's genuinely the most up to date information that anyone has and and we want people to use it
0: well, I I mean I just uh, am so excited, um, so grateful that you've been willing to take on this challenge. I know, um, you know, it, uh, it's it's never easy to uh, make a make a career out of uh, this kind of political work, and it takes a level of dedication that I know you 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 got from your family because they are patriots as well. But Libby, you're you're a jewel, and I. You know, I, I wish you a long nap, but not too long after this is all over. And, you know, we'll have plenty of time to do a postmortem. And I hope that you'll come back on the hot dish uh, with me to do a postmortem on what we learned and how we can, in fact, um, go, go immediately into the next cycle, um, uh, talking about policy and talking about how we are going to bring that democratic message um, to rural America once again.
1: I would love to, Senator. And I, I keep making the joke about how uh, I talk to you more than I talk to my husband or my parents. Uh, but I, 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 in an election year, that just feels right. So I wouldn't have it any other way. But thank you for the work you're doing and and for uh, touting the, the gospel of Democrats in rural America.
0: Thank you so much, Libby. You have a great day. You too.